Hey, and welcome to the Thinking Biblically podcast uh, from Perimeter Church. I'm Jeff Norris, the senior pastor at Perimeter, and this is our third episode in the series that we're doing called Thinking Biblically. Uh, and the purpose of this podcast is, if you've been with us the first couple of times, is to help us to anchor biblically in current events and the various conversations that our culture is having. Uh, we hear a lot of voices. We hear a lot of input and information from all over the place, from news outlets and media and social media and whatnot. And what we want to do is we want to take all that and we want to say, what does the Bible say? We want to enter into what God would say to us. And in this Thinking Biblically podcast, specifically on the issue of race, race relations, race in America, Christianity and race. Uh, We've done two of these so far on this topic. If you haven't listened to those yet, I would strongly encourage you to. We've gotten uh, just overwhelmingly positive feedback on those and uh, would encourage you to listen to those. But today, here's what I want to do. I want to take an excerpt from a talk I gave to our elders and deacons uh, here at Perimeter Church. This was about a month ago. And what I did is it I took um, probably somewhere around 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and directly communicated where Perimeter Church stands on issues of critical race theory, Black Lives Matter. And and here was the big part of it. I made some definitive statements on those those things, uh, the Black Lives Matter organization versus the sentiment and so forth. But the biggest part of it was I tried to as very clearly as I could possibly do it uh, to talk about how the gospel propels us into this conversation, into our everyday lives, and the various ways in which the gospel moves us uh, into these things. And so, uh, what I want to do is, I want to play that for you. And I want you to follow along as best you can. And in what I did with officers, I had a whiteboard and I was drawing some things out, but I think I was using enough descriptive words to where you're going to be able to imagine with me what I was drawing, what I was laying out for them in a a couple of diagrams. So uh, let me pray for us and we'll ask God to lead us and give us wisdom in this episode today. Father, we thank you. We pray that uh, as you are outside of space and time, um, you can bless the hearing of this whenever someone may be listening. And so, Lord, we do pray for all that will listen to this. May it be a blessing. May it be an encouragement. And we pray that you would glorify yourself through it. Lord, would you indeed give us wisdom? We need godly wisdom. And would you fill us with your Holy Spirit that as we seek to have these conversations and understanding biblically of where to anchor, Lord, we need you. We say often, Lord, we want to be radically dependent upon you. And so we pray that now. We want to be radically dependent. Give us ears, give us eyes to see and hear not what I say necessarily, but what you say. And so we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. This goes without saying, uh, but just so that there's recognition and awareness that uh, uh, the, the, these are, for many of us, these have been incredibly hard, heavy, uh, emotionally draining days that we've been in for quite a while now, um, starting with the pandemic, but leading into um, uh, the racial unrest and, and just situation that we're facing in our, in our country. Um, I don't know about you. I, I would assume that you've been feeling similar things to what I've been feeling, which is a, a mixture of all kinds of things. 
I mean, what I, what I wrote on paper here is that I've, uh, I feel tired. I feel, I, I go in and out of feeling encouraged and beat up. I go in, in and out of feeling very hopeful and then v- very disillusioned and discouraged. Um, some of that is dependent upon what I see on social media and what I don't see on social media, which has caused me in the last week and a half to not be on social media because that's usually probably the wisest way to go. Um, but man, these, are, these have been uh, intensely heavy days that we've been in. Uh, and so I think it's safe to say that we've, we've probably all felt that at some level. And so here's, here's what I want to start out saying to you tonight. Um, I want you, it's interesting that last month, here's what I want to implore you to do. We need to fight for one another uh, and, and have each other's backs. This is, a, this is a time that I am seeing, and I'm sure you are too, the enemy um, doing what he often does so very well to bring division, to bring discord, discord and to bring, and this is the big one, to bring distrust among the body of Christ uh, and among even our own church. And so when you're dealing with issues that are as heavy and significant and important as our country has been dealing with, certainly people have all kinds of opinions. People have all kinds of convictions, all kinds of strong emotions that come with it. And some of those are based on experiences. Some of those are based on feelings mixed with experiences. Some of those are based on uh, data and this and that and articles and videos and so on and so forth. And what can be most confusing is that a lot of it also is based on different interpretations of scripture, where you can listen to one person espouse the scripture and come to this conclusion of how you should engage with, with issues like race and racism. And then you can listen to another person who is godly in, in, in all kinds of training theologically and come to a different conclusion. And here's what I'm seeing at work in the body of Christ is that the human nature, the propensity within the heart within all of us is to talk, to talk to other people, to allow gossip to take root, to allow distrust to begin to flourish within us, to begin to ask questions about what does he really mean when he says that? What does he really mean when he posts that? What does that person really mean? And I think he means this, and I think he means this. And next thing we know, we're prejudging someone's intentions and heart without actually coming to that person and saying, hey, could we sit down, brother, and talk? Could we have a conversation so that I can know your heart? And so we have to fight hard. We have to continue in the, in the battle in a way to where we are not allowing the enemy through the Holy Spirit within us and his power within us to bring disunity, discord, and distrust. We have to fight for unity. We have to fight to have one another's backs and to believe the best in each other. And then we have to fight to trust one another knowing, here's the key, knowing that the same Holy Spirit is at work within each one of us. It's absolutely critical. What we have as a body of believers is much more than even what the world has. When the world says, hey, we're all made in the image of God, that's significant. It's hugely significant. But what believers in Jesus say is not only are we made in the image of God, we are being remade into the image of Jesus. 
bought by his blood, redeemed and indwelled with his Holy Spirit. And so to fight against the cultural norms is to not allow ourselves to get into what the culture would normally do in discussions like the world is having right now and our country is having right now. To operate the way that the culture around us operates, which is to say, let's post something on social media and then assume a lot about the intentions and motivations of that without coming to the heart of a brother. Those kind of things. And I'm not thinking of any one individual when I'm saying this. I'm just saying, brothers, let's not let that happen. I think about the Battle of Iwo Jima. I always assumed that when that flag, American flag, was planted at the top of Mount Suribachi, it was on day four of the battle. I thought that meant that the battle was over. I always assumed that they planted that flag because it meant victory had been, ha- had been experienced. And then as I read about the battle, I realized that that was just, they had conquered Mount Suribachi and they still had to move north. They were on the very southern tip of the island and they had to move north to eradicate and move out the Japanese throughout the rest of the island. And that would take 34 more days of fighting. And something occurred to me, at least for me, this is kind of maybe how I've been functioning, is it it has felt at some level even though it could be misleading, it is felt at some level that we have planted the flag on COVID. Even though we haven't, there's, it's still out there and we're still battling and having to be wise with that. But because we're taking steps towards reopening, it can feel as though, hey, we've, we've gotten that victory. But here's where I think we are. When you read about the Battle of Iwo Jima, after they planted that flag on the top of that mountain, the harshest part of the battle, the most brutal part of the battle we're in those 34 days after that. And I remember reading, account, re- reading different accounts where that's when the soldiers became most disillusioned and that's when they struggled the most to trust one another. Do you have my back? Are you with me? We have to keep going. We have to keep fighting. And I think we're in the midst of that battle right now. We have to have one another's backs. We have to believe in one another. We have to fight for unity. At this point, I think it would be good for you to hear from me uh, some very definitive, clear statements so that you know uh, where we stand, where I stand and where our church stands. Here's the first one. I want this to be clear. Uh, We have not, are not, and will not officially support or align with the official Black Lives Matter organization. We have not, we are not, and we will not. If you need clarity on where our position would be, uh, Al Mohler has recently written an article that just came out this week on distinguishing between the Black Lives Matter organization and the statement. And in it, he says what would convey my heart. And if you've listened to the podcast that the teaching team and Chip and Jimmy put out this past Sunday, Um, You would hear, you know that we've said this, but I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to that, please, please do. I have heard from so many this week, more than I can count, who have reached out and said, thank you so much for doing that podcast. It, It encouraged me and it helped me understand very clearly the heart of you as our pastor and the heart of our church. And so if you haven't done that, please do. But you heard us say this in the, in, the, uh, in the podcast where we definitively stated we will not and are not going to align with that movement is if you look into their website, all their written documentation, there is so much there that is far outside the bounds of biblical uh, and orthodox Christianity and what we would teach and hold to in this church. 
The statement that black lives matter to God and to his church is absolutely true. That is a true statement. And we hold to that statement in the sense of saying, yes, absolutely. They're made, black lives made in the image of God matter to me, matter to you, matter to our church, and matter to God. Another statement that I need to state very clearly, we have not, are not, and will not be a one-issue church. We are a church that will speak to, have spoken to, and will continue to speak to all kinds of biblical implications of the gospel in everyday life. I would encourage you to do this, though. I would encourage you to consider the cultural moment that we're in right now. And consider this. I've heard from some who have come to me directly that said, if you're going to talk so much about, which interesting on how things are perceived, but if you're going to talk so much about race, then are you also going to talk about abortion? Are you also going to talk about sex trafficking? Are you also going to talk about biblical nuclear family and marriages and parenting and these kind of things? And here's how I would say that. First, yes, absolutely. And for some of you, it may encourage you to know that in early August, as a part of the Image of God series, we'll be devoting an entire service and sermon to the issue of protecting life in the womb and featuring all kinds of things that we're doing to fight the battle against abortion. And so, yes, absolutely. We can't be gospel people and not care about those things. But I want you to understand something too. Right now, the entire country is talking about this issue of race. The whole country is. And I've had a few people ask me, why do we have to speak to it? Why do we just have to join into the current and talk about it like everybody else? Just preach the gospel. But let me ask you this, what would it say if we didn't speak to it? What would we be conceding if we didn't speak to it? How I feel as a pastor is I would say this, if, if we decide not to try to anchor biblically on this issue, just as important to anchor biblically on any other issue, and we say, we're just not gonna go there, then what that means is I feel and I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit in me to say that I am then saying that I'm going to let the hearts and the minds of God's people be shaped by something other than the teaching of God's word on this issue. And so we're going to allow ourselves, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What's going to transform our minds? Is it going to be what we take in from news outlets? Is it going to be what we take in from podcasts, from radio stations, from whatever it may be? Or is it going to be what we take in together as a church as we sit together under the teaching of God's word? And so we have to speak into the cultural moment just like we have to speak into the cultural moment in any other issue. We will. We have to understand the cultural moment. The last statement is we have been... We are and will always be a gospel-centered church, rejecting any and all academic ideologies that are antithetical to the Holy Scriptures and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This includes, but is not limited to, critical race theory and cultural Marxism. You need to know that I and our leadership are studying and educating ourselves as much as we possibly can on those two ideologies. And they're, they're, they go hand in hand. And we are fighting to make sure that nothing is creeping into through the side door of this church that would not be saturated in God's word and propelling us out of God's gospel. So please hear my heart in that. Let me say this. Uh, 
all of us are in process on this issue. One of the things that grieves me the most about the current conversation in America right now is that we, we tend to, in our country, create polar opposite extremes and then force everyone to get into those two totally opposite extremes. And many of us feel left in this messy middle trying to figure out where do I fit? And it's so easy when you're in those two polar opposite extremes to label other people and vilify them, to determine, to predetermine even what they stand for without ever having a conversation. And then feel better about ourselves because we have determined what someone, where someone stands based on something that we think puts them in that camp. And so let me say this to you. It's okay to be in process. I'm in process. We're all in process. It's okay to say, you know what, I'm really wrestling through these things. Is there a safe space for me to just have honest conversation? And if that's not the church, I don't know what is. The church should be that safe space to where we can say, hey, I hear some of the things you're saying, but I'm still wrestling with this, and would you help me? And that's what we want to do. I had a conversation right before I came in here with Bob and Randy and with Jamie, Randy Schlichting and, and Bob Carter, Jamie Short. And one of the things that Bob and Randy were, were expressing to me is they said, please, please let them know that we want to be that place for you to come, to process, to say, help me, help me think through this in a biblical way in a way that would be glorifying to the Lord. And so we, uh, we want to do that for you. We want that to be something that, uh, that you know is available to you. So let our shepherding staff, Bob and Randy specifically have said, please come to them. Let me do this in the little bit of time that we have left together. I want to give you, where is it that we're aiming? What is the target that we're going after as a church as it pertains to uh, the gospel and to gospel-motivated engagement with the world around us. So let me, let me say it to you like this. I want to just use the, the, the easy, uh, simple illustration of a cross, okay? So a cross that would have a, a vertical axis and a horizontal axis. And so if you come over here and you say, okay, the vertical axis, this is what represents... Uh, this is what represents, I would say, a, a vertical gospel orientation, okay? So a vertical gospel orientation, which is to say this. What do we mean when, when we talk about this vertical axis of the cross? What we're talking about is we're talking about justification by faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone, okay? This is, this, is the, this is the proclamation of the gospel, the vertical orientation of the gospel that says we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus alone, him, him rescuing us out of the pit and despair of our sin, um, and then placing us into his family, forgiving us of our sin, declaring us righteous, uh, imputing to us his righteousness upon himself, making us sons and daughters of the king. And in that, we are being made new. We have been made new. We've been birthed into this new life. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Life I live in the body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what we're talking about. That's the vertical gospel. I'll come back to that in just a second. But this is the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, okay? When you come over here to the horizontal axis, this is, this is getting at the question, how then shall we live? How then shall we live is the horizontal axis, it's saying those who are justified, those who have been made new in Christ, 
begs the question, because the scriptures beg the question, how then shall we live? Think about, think about, uh, think about all of the, and I'm just going to use the epistles, but really I could say all of scripture, but just think about the epistles real quick. When Paul and Peter and when, uh, when John, when they write their epistles, they start almost always with the doctrine of justification. What is the beauty of the vertical axis of the gospel? That we have been redeemed and made new, and there's nothing that we did to earn that. It was all by grace, so on and so forth. But then the second half of the epistle is almost always devoted to how then shall we live? What is it that, that is now therefore going to be true of us as people who have been born again, who have a new birth? into this new way of life as sons and daughters of the king. So there's all kinds of implications of this. Now, when it comes to issues of how then shall we live, what you'll hear often is you'll hear things like, well, um, is the new birth, or maybe it's a question of, is the new birth not enough? In other words, should we just say that because now that the Holy Spirit was, is within us, then uh, because he's doing a transforming work within us, we now therefore just go and we love and we do what we do. And, and that's true, that certainly happens. But I, I love this quote by Russell Moore. He says, we cannot simply assume that changed people will change the world. Political structures and cultural mores are complex systems that live long past the lifespan of their creators and often shape what seems possible to those who grow up in them. Personal piety ought to alert us to questions of injustice, but we cannot pretend that it always does so. Now listen to this part. If the new birth conferred immediate wisdom and insight, we wouldn't need the directives on how to live given to us in both the New and Old Testament. A church that doesn't form consciences for such a calling will only ensure that consciences are shaped by something other than the gospel. In other words, what Russell Moore is saying there is he's saying the same thing that Paul and other writers of scripture would say is, we have to preach this first and foremost. We have to talk about the gospel, the vertical axis of the gospel, but then we have to teach specifically then what does that mean for us in how we should live. The gospel writers, the, 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 uh, the scripture writers don't just say, okay, you've got Jesus in you now and you have the Holy Spirit, now just go live. They give us specifics on how to live and they give us all kinds of things to think about. So when you think about this, what is it that we're aiming for? What we're aiming for is we're aiming for what I would call a full gospel renewal or maybe another way to say it is, um, another way to say it is a full I'll get two, two dots here, a full cross church, okay? Now, and this is what we started aiming for uh, in year 25. When we started thinking about, we have the head, the heart, we wanna add the hands and really be thinking about how does the vertical axis of the gospel, the implications of that begin to uh, be lived out horizontally. This means that there is first and foremost, a preaching of a gospel that leads to, um, that leads to individual salvation. Individual salvation. So again, this is, this is the doctrine of justification, okay? What's also in here is you have individual and corporate sanctification. But so you have in this full gospel renewal, this full cross church, you have individual salvation, vertical axis. You have individual and corporate sanctification, meaning God is doing a sanctifying work of making us individually more like him. But as a church, as a body, we're becoming more and more beautiful as his bride. We're becoming more and more like him corporately even, and our hearts are being knit together. 
in this endeavor of sanctification, of being made more like Jesus. And so far, we would probably say, absolutely, I'm, I'm with that 100%. And then I think you would be with 100% on this last part too, which would be individual and corporate. What I would say, uh, individual and corporate cultural engagement, okay? In- individual and corporate cultural engagement. Well, this is where the gospel propels us and compels us to move horizontally out into the world around us with the light of the gospel in such a way that yes, individual, individual lives are changed, absolutely. But we're also beginning to see the kingdom of God come in such a way to where the culture around us is even being affected. The ways in which we do life impacts the way in which the world around us and the people around us and the things that we touch become renewed and made new as the gospel takes root. Listen to this. This is where just a couple of spaces, all kinds of places that you could get this from in Scripture. But listen to these, these, uh, these things. In the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. This is the verse that we hear all the time, but I want you to zoom in on one point that's really important to pick up. This is the one that says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and will forgive their sin. Okay, did you know that's not where the period, where the sentence stops? Oftentimes, we, we kind of just stop here, and I don't mean perimeter, I just mean like Christians historically, we, we kind of just get to the individual salvation and the individual sanctification. And we say, if we'll repent, if we'll get on our face, if we'll seek the face of our God, then he'll send revival, he'll send renewal, and he'll forgive our sin. And in our Western culture, we make that such an individualistic thing. And we say, okay, that's what revival looks like. And it certainly is, is that, but it's not just that, because what, is, what does God say after that? He says, I will hear, hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God's redemption has always been holistic. It's always been vertical renewal and horizontal renewal as well through the implications of redeemed people and how we work together individually and corporately to bring his kingdom and renewing power to the world around us. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself, listen, all things. So he's reconciling to himself, not just people, but even the things that we produce, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, that's a key word there, arene in the Greek, which means flourishing, making flourishing peace by the blood of his cross. So the gospel has first and foremost, the vertical orientation that you need to hear me say, because I've had some people ask me, are we, because we're talking about race, are we losing grip of the gospel? To which I say, I'm not sure I understand the question because we are always going to preach the gospel, always. The vertical orientation will always be preeminent, always. But if we're going to preach the gospel, then we have to then therefore talk about horizontal implications of the gospel and not just pick and choose which ones those are. So I'll say this and then I'll be done. When you think about the early church, I think the early church shows us so clearly, and if I just think about it, kind of, you think about a timeline of church history, let's start with the early church, okay? The early church, not perfectly by any means, was a full cross church, where we see them fully and boldly and powerfully proclaiming the vertical gospel, the orientation to God of who, the redemption that we have to have as sinners individually, all that. And then you see so clearly in Acts how the church was reaching out horizontally in such powerful ways. 
And a big part of what they were doing is serving the poor, uh, seeing issues of injustice that was happening with the Hellenists, with others that you see throughout the book of Acts where they're, they're constantly trying to move people together in ways that the culture would always tear apart in a way that would only be done by the gospel. If you, get, if you jump, I mean, this is like a 100,000-foot view of church history, but I'm just giving you quick markers here. If you jump to 1054 uh, in, hum, in church history, and you get to 1054, and you've got all kinds of mess going on. You've got the vertical proclamation of the gospel, the vertical axis of the cross, uh, in all kinds of disarray. Starts, stuff has started coming into the church where you have to earn your way to salvation. You have to be able to do this and do that. And all these things, what's starting to uh, infiltrate at this point in time into the church is the teaching of, of penance and all kinds of things that the church began to teach that would, uh, that would destroy, in many ways, this vertical gospel. And so a schism happens in the church in 1054 for a lot of reasons, but this is the birth of the Roman Catholic Church. You also have all kinds of crazy stuff going on with the horizontal gospel as well. And a lot of it is you've got to be able to do these kind of things in order to get right with God. And so it's just a complete total quagmire of a mess that's beginning in 1054. But then you get over here to 1519. We know what's happening here. This is the Reformation. This is when Luther nails the 95 Theses to the door. And what he's doing and what the Reformation, what God's doing through those early reformers is he's redeeming and renewing and reclaiming through the church this vertical axis of the gospel to say it's not these, all these works that you have to do. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the power of Scripture and authority of Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. So we get the five solas, and we get, by God's beautiful sovereign leading of these men, we get the renewal of the gospel and the vertical axis of the gospel. But what we also begin to get is that this is getting redeemed and this is getting back to what it should be in the proclamation. We also get a renewed vision for the horizontal implications of the vertical axis of the cross. And so you see guys like John Calvin building hospitals in Geneva. You see the people of God begin to say, well, if we are gonna be redeemed people, then we are people moving out and caring about the issues of those around us to serve and to love in ways that no one else is doing. So, Again, big time flyover. Last thing I'll show you is this. Let's zoom in on the 20th century. If you, get, if you zoom in on the 20th century, there's, there's two decades that are critical that we have to talk about. You got the 1920s. In the 1920s, stick with me, I'm almost done. In the 1920s, uh, what began to happen is you had branches of the church of what had been historically the conservative, uh, solid church began to branch away because they're losing grip on the authority of the scriptures, on the inerrancy of the scriptures. Uh, they're, they're, they're beginning to teach things like that Christ is not divine, that he's not the son of God, that there was no virgin birth, that we can't be sure that there is the doctrine of the Trinity, all kinds of things that we would say these are critical, absolute. We have to hold on to these things. And they also began to lose grip with that because of that with the vertical axis that I keep talking about, losing grip of justification by faith alone and Christ alone through grace alone. And so what happened in the 1920s is you had the birth of what we've commonly called the liberal church. And here's what happened in response to that. Denominations like the Baptist church and the Presbyterian church and the Methodist church and others with them said, we have to, because this has happened and the liberal church is taking all these uh, horrible paths in terms of losing grip of the vertical axis of the cross and the gospel, we have to preserve that. We have to preserve justification by faith alone. And so the conservative church, not meaning to, 
But what began to happen, it certainly wasn't purposeful, I don't think, as I've read church history, is that the liberal church began to own, in many ways, the horizontal actions of the church. And the conservative church began to own the vertical axis. And so that's why many of you, myself included, grew up in churches where the only thing really emphasized on the horizontal line was sharing the gospel, which is, if you know anything about perimeter, we are going to be a church that we're going to share the gospel and we're going to make disciples. And that's, not, that's, that's who we're going to be. That's in our DNA and for always will be in our DNA. But what happens is I grew up in a church where all I knew about was the, the vertical axis of the gospel and, and this things of serving the poor and getting into the, the dirty, nasty stuff of the community was not taught in the church that I grew up in. And so what do we get? Well, there's another big decade that comes along in the 1960s. Many of you lived in the 1960s, and as we read about it, one of the things that we begin to see is that the conservative church, in seeking to protect this vertical axis of the gospel, said, you know, when we, when we get into this issue of, of, of race and we get into this issue of injustice, that's not something we speak to. We just preach the gospel. We just talk about the gospel and we let God change hearts and to which all of us would say yes and amen. Of course we're going to do that. But is there a way in which the church could actually say, yes, this is who we are about but we also want to care about the implications of the gospel in a way that perhaps the church has missed in the 1920s and the 1960s. So I say all that to say, here we are today, and we're in a place where our country is yet again talking about race. Why is it? And this is the question I'm asking myself. I'm not asking you this question. I'm asking myself this question. Why is it that when we talk about gospel implication of how the church, what, what the church should engage with, that if I come over here and I write abortion, or if I write sex trafficking, or if I write nuclear family, gender and sexuality, um, if I come over here and I write, uh, what's another one? I wrote several of these down. Um, oh, if I write down uh, biblical marriage, these kind of things, these are all issues that our culture talks about, all of them, that we would all agree, every single one of us would say the church has to speak to that so that the world out there is not shaping the mind of believers, but the, but the word of God is, and that we as a church are stepping into those spaces to bring renewal and redemption. But the question I'm asking myself is, why is it that when we throw in here race relations, all of a sudden, the church says, we don't go there. Many in the church say, nope, don't go there. We can't speak to that. And I'm wondering biblically, wh why not? Because the Bible has a whole lot to say about this. So if we're gonna be willing as a church to say yes and amen, we need to step into these spaces and we will and we have, we also need to step into these, uh, th to this space of race relations as well. So that's where I'm coming from. I want you to know my heart is not just to be a one issue church but I do want to be a full cross church. I do want to be a church that says uh, these important issues that deal with how the world is um, engaging and what Jesus and his gospel mean to that reality, we, we want to speak into it. Now, um, 
I hope one thing has been clear, and if it hasn't been, let me just say it as I close here. Um, I, I hope that you have heard me preach enough at Perimeter that you know my heartbeat for the gospel of uh, the vertical axis of the gospel. I have spent my entire ministry career preaching and teaching justification by faith alone and Christ alone, uh, by grace alone, making disciples, one-on-one, life-on-life missional discipleship. None of that will ever change. And so I hope you know my heart in that. Uh, I'm simply just asking and asking uh, and, and challenging how are we moving into spaces in the world around us and bringing the gospel to bear in difficult situations. So I hope that makes sense. I know that I probably um, created some more questions, but at the, at, the, at the deepest levels, I wanted you to know my heart. I wanted you to know where I was coming from. I wanted you to know uh, what's important to me and what's important to me is the gospel. And so um, let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for, for who you are, for your grace and your kindness and your mercy in our lives. Lord, thank you that you are more abundantly gracious than we could ever imagine. That as Randy has been teaching us, that, uh, that what's true in Romans 8 is overwhelmingly overwhelmingly good that nothing can separate us from your love that we have been justified that it is a legal matter or that it's, it's done it's complete and you have made us new you have redeemed us by the blood of Jesus not based on anything we could bring to the table but based entirely upon your grace and your mercy and your love towards us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we rejoice, we rejoice, we rejoice in the doctrine of justification by faith alone. What a sweet, sweet gospel, good news that is. And Father, as redeemed people, as renewed people by your blood, Jesus, help us to be shaped and made into your image, both individually and corporately, that we would be a body of believers who are bringing your kingdom work to bear in every arena in every place that you take us in all of our conversations and all of our interactions and the things that we live, do, say, touch, or that it may it be like you, Jesus, where uh, your renewing work is being done through us. God, give us the ability to, to extend grace to one another, to, to be able to give one another the, uh, the freedom to process and to and to believe the best in one another, to trust one another, to fight for one another, and to fight for unity. Lord, we pray against the schemes of the evil one. We pray against him as he certainly uh, seeks to devour and destroy and kill. And so, oh Jesus, would you unite your church and would you do a work that as we have prayed for so long now that only you can do. So we pray that and ask in your matchless name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope that was a blessing to you. I hope that made sense to you. And I hope at some level, it wasn't just information, but it was good for your heart as well. So thanks for your time. Thanks for investing and thinking biblically uh, about the issues facing our culture today. Uh, please stay tuned as well for our next episode. And feel free to check out our weekly messages 
that we're doing in a different podcast stream called Digging Deeper. Uh, those go along with our sermon series that we're that we're preaching. So the current Digging Deeper series is going along with our series called Imago Day that we're teaching on Sunday morning. So join us for that podcast series as well. Until then, be blessed. Be blessed.